We all grew up hearing about the story of Rapunzel, the beautiful young maiden with long golden hair locked away in a tower until her prince came along. But the roots of the story, as with most fairy tales, are darker and even a bit bizarre. Was Rapunzel inspired by something historical? And what is the story really trying to say? Perhaps Rapunzel isn't the innocent princess we once imagined her to be. I'm Vanessa K. Eccles, and this is Fabled. just locked away in towers because they're harmless. In fact, harmless is a word that could never describe any of the women in my family. Noble is another one that eludes us, as our ancestor made sure of. Delilah had been a deceptive woman, stealing power from her lover's hair, which was a blessing for him and a curse for us. I ran my fingers across the stone walls where my mother and hers had scraped the days and years in ragged tally marks. I'd chosen not to mark my time here. Marking time is an act for the living, and I am not alive. I merely exist in some in-between place, a gray place like the sea and skies surrounding the tiny island I'm exiled to. The ragged, paint-peeling light tower that is my prison stands solemnly on the rock, waiting, forecasting its own demise when the sea would swallow it, finally putting it to rest. Designed to be a watch for seamen, many, many moons ago. The Seagrave Lighthouse had long since stopped its duties. No light shone from its high tower. Nobody manned its duty, and the sea had almost made good on its promise by separating the tiny rock on which it stood from the mainland. With no way to come but by boat, and the haunting, albeit accurate, legends surrounding this place. Few people braved the harsh waves on pointed rocks that reached from the sea to the surface like rows of shark teeth waiting to chomp its next victim. No, I'd been alone, like my mother and hers before me, 100 years of gray women. She'd waited, my mother and hers, for a prince to save her. 
a noble, kind, and brave man to defeat the treacherous shores and scale the crumbling tower to reach her. There was only one purpose for him, though. Little did he understand. He wasn't there to rescue a fair maiden. Rather, he was there to be a temporary lover. And then, when she'd had her fill of him, she would speak the incantation we'd heard the wind whisper all our lives. The man would morph into beast, and it'd be the gray woman's mission, her only hope for freedom, to slay her dragon with her bare hands and with nothing but the golden hair that hung to her knees. Matilda, my mother's name, etched along the stone wall. As my finger traced the letters, I could almost imagine her slender hands, white-knuckled, her silken braid wrapped around the princely dragon's neck, choking him to death. I had replayed the scene that I wasn't present for, at least not visibly present, as I was still in her womb. Every beast begets its spawn, but to be honest, who really was the beast in this equation? My mother certainly wasn't a saint, but a killer. And the prince, who wanted nothing more than to scale the tower and reap his reward, wasn't one either. No, both were in it for their own desires to be met. That's one way of looking at it. Of course. But over the years, I've learned that things are always not as clear as they first appear. Matilda may not have wanted to murder, but who can say when circumstances led her there? It was her life or his, and she had already suffered so many years. Ten years. That's our penance. That's our curse. A decade of loneliness, of gray days tossing into months and years. Of course, she must have been happy to see her prince scale the tower. Surely the thought of a companionship was thrilling. Perhaps she was even sad to realize that her time with him had come to an end. Or else they both have to stay locked away, cursed. No one knew if the curse would end simply because true love, whatever that was, had been a stronger force than freedom. Before the lighthouse, there were other towers, other castles, other dungeons, and other dragons. All the tales were the same. Freedom had always been the goal, the end. I would be no different. I knew my years were ticking by, slowly etching away my youth. My days must be numbered. But since I hadn't kept count, I couldn't be sure how close I was. I lay on the four-post bed, the arm stretching tall toward the wood plank ceiling. At 25, I think, I should have had more life under my belt, more worldly wisdom. But being locked up at 15 caused me to be stunted in so many ways. I couldn't remember what it felt like to have a conversation with someone other than myself. Hello, I'm Z, I said aloud, needing to hear myself speak 
to prove that I could still form words. I closed my eyes, trying to build a prince in my mind, tall, dark, with eyes as dark as raven. His arms would nestle me to his chest, cradle me up the stairs while he whispered lovely things in my ear. His kiss would be soft, yet determined. He'd give me a cursed daughter, like they all do. But maybe I'd love him. Maybe he'd be genuine in his desire. Maybe he'd choose to love me and forfeit his freedom. Maybe I'd choose the same. If I never used the incantation, if I never turned him into someone horrible and never killed him, could we be happy? The two of us and our child, all of us locked away, content with nothing more than each other. A crashing sound came in the distance, pulling me from my imaginings. Glancing out the arched window, I saw him. His boat had hit the rocks, shards of wood splattering across the sharp edges. The sea had him in its grasp, waves pulling him under, him desperately fighting to take a breath. I bit my lip, half hoping he'd succumb, half anxious if he didn't. Either way, my curse was over. But his had only just begun. Rapunzel's story that we're familiar with today comes from a tale published in the 1800s by the Brothers Grimm. That version was believed to have been inspired by the one by Frederick Schultz, which was inspired by an earlier French story by Charlotte Rose de la Force. Going back even further, the story can be traced to Italian folklorist Jim Battista Basile in his collection of stories in 1634. Now that you've heard my twist on the tale, here's how the Brothers Grimm version goes. Once upon a time, there was a happy couple who had wanted deeply to have a child, but for years they weren't able to conceive. The woman believed that God may finally be granting their wish soon, and she would glance out into a beautiful garden over a high wall. It was the witch's garden, and it was full of glorious flowers and vegetables. The woman set her eyes on a patch of Rapunzel, which is a type of lettuce, and longed to eat it. She began withering away, and her husband, who wanted to please his wife, meant that he would get her some no matter what the cost. One night, he climbed over the wall and got a handful of lettuce. His wife then made a salad from it and ate it right away. She loved it so much that she craved it again the next day, and her appetite for it had magnified 
and the only way to make her happy was if her husband would go and get her more. But when he went back, he was confronted by the witch. She accused him of thievery, but he explained how his wife was craving it, and he only hoped to keep her happy. The witch agreed to allow him to take more with him on one condition. He must promise to give her their child once it's born. He was so frightened that he agreed and hurried home. Immediately after the birth, the witch came to take the child, whom she named Rapunzel, after the type of lettuce her father stole. Rapunzel was a beautiful child, so beautiful that the witch felt she needed to be locked away in a tower without stairs or a door. When she wanted to visit her, she'd call out and Rapunzel would let down her hair. To pass the time, Rapunzel would sing, and her voice was caught by the ear of the prince. He started going to the forest to listen to her every day, and once he saw the witch ask for her to let her hair down. The prince asked her to do the same the next day, and the two soon fell in love. But when the witch found out, she was furious, and she cut Rapunzel's beautiful braids and later trapped the prince. When he came to visit, it was the witch who was in the tower, not Rapunzel, because she had been banished to the wilderness. So frightened, he jumped from the tower and into a pile of brambles. He survived, but the briars had scratched out his eyes. He then wandered the forest for years, until finally he came upon Rapunzel, who had been struggling to survive in the wilderness as well. She had given birth to their twins, a boy and a girl, years earlier. When she saw him, she ran to embrace him with tears streaming down her face. Her tears healed his eyes, and he saw once again. They were then able to return to the kingdom and lived on happily. Regardless of which version of the story you read, Rapunzel is a victim of other people's malice or irresponsibility. Her parents thoughtlessly abandoned her to a vile creature, be it a witch, an ogre, a fairy, or otherwise, as in some of the other versions. And then she's locked away in a tower. Rapunzel did not have a choice over her circumstances. It was others who chose her fate until she aged and decided that the one thing that's worth losing her life for was true love. The concept of a maiden in a tower is thought to have originated with the legend of St. Barbara. St. Barbara was locked away in a tower by her father. She was a virgin saint of the early church. According to legend, she was a daughter of a pagan who locked her away in order to keep her safe from all evil. Allegedly, when she professed Christianity and refused to marry, he was enraged, and he took her to be tortured and beheaded because of her insolence. Horribly, it was he who carried out the execution. But on his way home, he was struck by lightning and turned to ash. Women especially from the upper classes, were often subjected to arranged marriages. They had no legal rights regarding who they were placed with. 
As most of us know, marriages were used to strengthen political alliances and were traded like money, offering a woman in lieu of payment. Women were legally obligated to have sex with their husbands, and there was no possibility of obtaining divorce. They were, in essence, property. Many times, the women were much younger than their husbands. Some men were abusive, and the women had to endure the treatment or end up locked away in a madhouse. Because of this, it's no surprise that we have damsels in distress in fairy tales. To modern readers, it seems silly and contrite, but throughout history, the rights of women were not as solid as they are today. They very often found themselves in need of a saving grace, someone to steal them from their societal prison. Fairy tales champion true, consensual love, a love that was chosen by both parties and not by their parents. This consensual love would be the source of deep happiness and would end the barbaric notion of arranged marriages and the problems such a practice ensues. Strangely, there is a syndrome known as Rapunzel's syndrome. It's a physical health condition associated with the long-haired fairy tale beauty. Rapunzel's syndrome is a rare intestinal condition caused by ingesting hair. Because humans are unable to digest hair, it must be treated surgically. A 16-year-old from England died in 2017 from Rapunzel syndrome. Moving away from the real to the literary implications again, Margaret Atwood, author of The Handmaid's Tale, is known to use a literary version of the Rapunzel syndrome in many of her works, in which a woman is trapped by her circumstances and often held captive. She explains the syndrome, quote, Rapunzel, the main character, the wicked witch who has imprisoned her, usually her mother, and the tower she's imprisoned in, the attitudes of the society symbolized usually by her house or children, and the rescuer, a handsome prince of little substantiality. In the Rapunzel syndrome, the rescuer is not much help. Atwood says that the best thing Rapunzel can do is cope with her situation, which is exactly what she does. But what about the antagonist of the story? According to Maria Tater, author of the Annotated Brothers Grimm, the Enchantress was initially listed as a fairy. It was only later that her label switched from Enchantress to now Witch. Throughout fairy tales, the most terrifying beings are often older women. It could be, as Maria Tater says, because the mother is the most powerful being in a child's life. She explains, Children do have a way of splitting the mother figure into the evil mother, who's always making rules and regulations, policing their behavior, getting angry at them, and then the benevolent nurturer, the one who is giving and protects and making sure that they survive. Throughout cultures around the world, folklore has a way of mystifying the older woman, the outcast, the woman who isn't like the rest of population. 
There almost seems to be a sort of fear that arises at the thought of a woman who isn't afraid to go against the grain. So it makes perfect sense why the Grimms use her in the story. In addition, many cultures have demons or witches in legends and folktales that steal children from expecting mothers. In European cultures, a changeling, for example, is a fairy child that has been swapped with a stolen human child. Even tales of the boogeyman in legends like La Llorona, who has roots to the demonic, as I shared in an earlier episode. Or even Little Red Riding Hood, which also has terrifying true roots, all remind us of the intrinsic fear of losing a child. We all know that fairy tales are full of metaphors, these tiny hidden meanings that are often nuggets of wisdom and truth. But sometimes those truths are ugly. Rapunzel's hair, for example, is described as being lovely and gold. Her fairness is representative of what Maria Tater describes as, quote, ethical goodness and aesthetic appeal. Described as gold also indicates that she was valued and highly esteemed, like a prized jewel the witch wanted hidden. In an earlier version of the tale, Rapunzel and her prince engage in premarital sex, a real no-no in their time. They even conceived children out of wedlock. This must have roused a few eyebrows at the brothers, since in their later versions, it's implied that the two lovers somehow were married while she was still in the tower, making their union more moral than the previous version. In Bruno Bettelheim's book, The Uses of Enchantment, he explains how fairy tales connect with many boys' desires to be a hero. They want to slay the dragons, trick the witch, or outwit evil, and finally meet the girl of their dreams. While for the girl, someone to free them from the overprotection of parents or the bondage of their unhappy circumstances is the desired escapism. In Rapunzel, both the prince and her are heroes in their own right. While they both were, in essence, defeated by the witch, true love conquered even the worst of circumstances, and fate led them together again. One of the things that really strikes me about the story is the time they spent apart, wandering the wilderness, barely able to survive. The distance between them being lost and finally finding each other again is significant but often overlooked. The implication that love conquers all is one we enjoy gravitating to. But this story seems to be saying, yes, but not always immediately. But does it matter if Rapunzel had to wait on her prince, the father of her children, or that the prince had to stumble around the forest, surviving on little more than berries? The idea of hardship during waiting is one almost all of us recognize and have or are enduring. It's the time between the identifying of our innermost desires and dreams and finally achieving them that's critical to building character, gratitude, and wisdom. The time it takes between the birth of the dream and the achievement of it is the most difficult, and it's in the trials that we're molded into heroes. And that's the true bliss of Rapunzel and her prince. 
Not that the two fell in love in their youth, but that their love had endured, which only made it stronger and even more magical. Fabled is produced by me, Vanessa K. Eccles, with research assistance by Whitney Zahar, and music by Kevin McLeod and Epidemic Sound. Fabled is an independent podcast, which relies solely on listener support. If you'd like to become a patron, please visit fablecollective.com. Until next time, thank you for listening. People think nothing ever happens in Canada, but we know this is simply not true. Do you like myths, legends, or learning about some of Canada's greatest moments in history? Then this is the podcast for you. Join me, Canadian Girl, every two weeks as we travel around Canada exploring haunted places, searching for lost gold mines, trying to solve some true crime, and we even stop to observe historical events and people every now and again. Come on over to the channel today and join the crew by hitting that subscribe button. You don't want to miss out on our next adventure. That's Nothing Ever Happens in Canada, available on most podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and more. (laughs) 